preach, just make it happen. And lo and behold, Ed was like, hey, I really have a message on Everlasting Father. And I was like, well, I'm not preaching today. Um, and I just kind of surrendered that I wasn't going to share this message. But I said, Lord, you know, if, if you put a message in my heart, just, just make it happen. And I just let it go. And then Ed's like, you know, I'm thinking my schedule's a little, you know, I don't know. And I was like, you know, I have a message, guys. I really feel like God gave me a message. And so I'm honored to speak today because there's so much to be said about this series, Unrealistic Expectations. You know, we're talking about, you know, Israel, when they're looking at their Savior, they're like, okay, we know what our Savior's going to look like. We know exactly what he's going to do. We've read the scriptures. We've read all of the prophecies. So he's going to come like a mighty warrior. And then this baby is born. It just seems so shocking. So that's the picture of unmet expectations, unrealistic expectations. But what I really felt like God put on my heart today was the fact that, let me make sure this is working. Might not be working. There we go. We are working. We're working. Good? No? Bear with us, commercial break. Good? Okay, we're good. This is the scripture here, Isaiah 9, 6. It said, for, us, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Okay, government on someone's shoulders. That sounds intense. That sounds like a warrior, soldier. That's not a baby. I do not put the government on my baby's shoulders. I don't think that's a good idea. It would not go well. So this idea of unrealistic expectations of who is this Lord, you know, today we're going to be talking about the Everlasting Father. And I felt like what God put in my heart immediately when I saw this was, what are our unrealistic expectations, or should I say our unmet expectations of our Heavenly Father? What are areas where we thought God was going to do one thing and he didn't seem to do the thing you thought he was going to do? What is the situation in your life that you felt like, hey, I, I had it all figured out. I read the scriptures. I had the promise. I know exactly what's coming, God, and he did not seemingly show up the way you thought he was going to show up. That's where we're going to go. And I want to start with this, because our relationship with our Heavenly Father could really have a lot to do with our perspective of an earthly father. Now, when I was sharing with Greg this message, you know, he shared an interesting perspective. He goes, Chris, you know, it's true for me. Some people, it may be true that your earthly relationship with your father can, could have an effect on how you see God. But he's like, that's not true necessarily for me. I feel like I, I know who the difference is. I know my heavenly father and I know my earthly father. And I said, Greg, I love that because th- that is true for many. But really what that comes from and where that comes from is who do you put your expectations on? Because I want to tell you something. My story is this. My relationship with my dad was an interesting one. This is my brother and my dad on my wedding day. This is one of my, so funny that we sing about weddings. I didn't even think of that today. This was the best day of my life. I'm going to cry. Okay. I got to marry my wife. My family's there. And it just seemed like God was so faithful to answer the cry of my heart. You know, I went from, if those of you who have heard my story, you know, you know what's coming. But for those of you who have not, you know, I got saved when I was 21 years old after a failed suicide attempt. My life was done. I didn't want to live anymore. And I just thought God had nothing good for me. I didn't even know if he was real. And in my lowest point, I heard a voice call me by name and say, Chris, I love you. It's going to be okay. Go to the hospital. Check yourself in. For the rest of the story, I went. I told the doctors that I heard a voice. Didn't go well for me. It wasn't good. (laughs) They put me in a gurney. They took away my shoelaces. It wasn't fun. Um, 
But I knew I heard a voice, and I'm so thankful for the men of God that came in my life at that point to let me know, hey, Chris, God is calling you. And then I'm standing here on my wedding day. Now, my relationship with my dad is this. I grew up, we were kind of a, a poor family in a rich neighborhood, and we really wanted to fit in, all of us. We lived above our means. There were days our electricity might have been off. There were days we weren't sure if we were going to have food. Christmas was not always a thing until Salvation Army appeared at our front door and said, we have Christmas for you. So little did I know God was providing for my family before I even gave my life to him. But as I got older, I just kind of had these unmet expectations of a father that I was like, I really wish I had this. Like, God, did I get born in the wrong family? Now, I wasn't talking to God. I was talking to myself at this stage of my life. Did I get born in the wrong family? Like, did I just get dealt the worst hand ever? Like, why are all these people rich and they have both their parents married? Like, why are they so blessed to have? And I have this unfortunate circumstance that I was dealt And I was a victim my whole life, and that really changed my relationship with my father because I began to envy, not envy him, I I began to to just have issues with him, and it it caused a separation. So my dad and I didn't talk a ton most of my childhood. When I was 16 years old, I moved with my mom, went to school there, and things didn't go well there, and so 18 years old, I'm by myself. And I just remember being in an empty place. I didn't feel like I had a relationship with my dad. I didn't feel like I had a relationship. And I went into this men's retreat. So fast forward, I get saved, right? Ver- voice, hear a voice, gurney, hospital. I got discharged, praise God. And then God set me on this trajectory and I met him. Well, what happened from there? I went to a men's retreat. How many of you have been to, men, have you been to a men's retreat before? Okay, a few hands. So if you don't know Christian world men's retreat, always going to go after father wounding because that is the thing you go after when you go to men's retreat. So Father wounds, let's do it. And I remember rolling my eyes because I had gone through some things on my own. But this guy says, Chris, you know, what does God want to do with your relationship with your father? Let's pray. So I prayed, and here's what I want to share with you. The guy asked me, he said, what is one thing you wish your earthly dad would have done differently that would have changed a lot for you? And I immediately had this come to mind. I wish my dad would have played catch with me more. You know, I remember days, saying, Dad, you want to play catch? Sorry, bud, I'm busy. I'm too tired. Now, my dad was a single dad working 85 hours a week trying to make ends meet in a rich town that we couldn't afford, working as hard as he could. But I didn't know that as an 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old. I just know that my dad wouldn't play catch with me. So we go into this prayer moment. I want to share with you. I went into what I would have considered a vision. I believe God showed me something. I had my eyes closed. I was praying. And I just had this like replay of my life playing in my head. You guys following me? And he goes, let's go after the, 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 the playing catch thing. So in this vision, I would call it, I see this giant purple door standing in front of me. And he's like, what do you see? I'm like, I see a purple door. And I just felt the Holy Spirit kind of speak to my heart, walk through it. So I walk through this purple door. And in the room, there's a purple box sitting in the middle of the floor. And I hear the Lord say, open the box. Now, when I opened the box, inside of the box were two baseball gloves. And I knew what the Lord was saying to me. He said, Chris, I've always been your father. I've always known what you needed. Can you forgive your dad? And immediately, I just encountered the presence of God in such a strong way, it changed everything for me. Fast forward into the rest of the vision, I immediately went into a memory of a time when I was 18 years old. I got dropped off. It was my senior year in high school. Uh, No, sorry, this was junior, sophomore, so sophomore year of high school. 
My dad dropped me off, we were arguing in the car, and I remember slamming the door in front of all my friends and saying, I wish you were never my father. That was the, the memory that God brought back to me. The interesting thing about this vision is I didn't get to leave the vision. I watched myself walk away, and I'm just looking at my dad in the car that I just walked away from. And what I watched was my dad place his hands in his face and begin to sob. And the Lord said to me, your father has always wanted you to be proud of him. He just doesn't know how to make it right. And what God led me to do was write a letter to my dad of everything that he did incredible. And God's first thing that he did in my walk with Jesus was restore my honoring the mother and the father relationship that he calls in scripture. Now, I wasn't honoring the things he did. I was honoring him as my father, the one that God chose for me to have, the one that I didn't have any say in the game. And I began to forgive him. And now that was, you know, the realization is that God wants to become your father. Because what happened is I'd be able to, I was able to take these expectations off of my dad that we're probably never going to be met because he's a human. And I was able to forgive him and say, God, you know what? I love you and I receive you as my father. And you know what, dad? You're off the hook. I forgive you. And you know what happened to me as my paradigm and my perspective changed. God began to show me memories of these things that my dad did that were so incredible. How he was always a provider. How he was at every single baseball game and never missed one. How... He would, he would buy me cleats that I wanted because they were the cool cleats and our electricity would be off the next week. You see, priorities probably could have went to financial peace. I don't know. <laughs> but the truth was my father's intentions were to always be the best father. And I just want to ask you the question, what wrong perspective maybe has the enemy convinced us of that God wants to heal and bring a new reality to you. Because when you begin to let your father in heaven be your father, you can release your parents. And then it's an amazing thing. My dad's standing, we'll go back to that picture. My dad's standing at my wedding. We are good in this picture. Where our relationship is restored. My father was here when we dedicated our children. God restored our relationship. I was able to let him off the hook. No longer will this man be able to disappoint any expectations I have because they're not on him anymore. They're on my earthly father, they're my heavenly father who is perfect. All right, how do we move on from here? Let's go to this, Matthew 7. Most important thing in ministry is not what you do for the kingdom of God. This scripture is talking about, God, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? That sounds like a profound ministry, right? It, it seems like something that you could be proud of as a minister of the gospel. Like demons are coming out of people. Wow, that's amazing. We prophesied many miracles. And what God is making clear, he goes, hey, I never knew you apart from me. What is God saying here? The ultimate calling in Jesus is not ministry. It's intimacy with him. If we go through this whole life never knowing God as a father and actually having communion with him and conversation, we actually miss an amazing component of who he is. That, so when he died on the cross and shed his blood, it was to restore right relationship with us and God. That no longer are we separated, no longer is the veil between us and him, but the veil has been torn, and now we can boldly walk in and talk to our perfect, holy God and walk into the throne room that we don't deserve to be in? Jesus accomplished this for us. Now, why did he do that? Because he wants you sitting at his feet where he's seated. Right now, there's a king in heaven and a father and a son 
The Son is at the right hand of the Father, and they are seated on the throne, and you have an open access pass to walk right in. It's an incredible reality. So let me ask the question, how do you feel that God sees you? A lot of times when I was walking in the Lord and as God was healing me of my perspective, which I, I, for me it was a lot to do with my perspective of my earthly dad, I kind of had an idea of like, all right, if my dad would do this, then God might do something slightly better. But he's probably mad at me because I've really let him down. You know, you grow up in an athlete's home, there's a lot of performance mentality. Like, if I don't make the team, I'm a failure. If I don't do it right, I am a letdown. I, I can't do it. I'm, I'm constantly striving to be something that I'm never going to be, and I'm never going to be good enough. So therefore, God, I must not be good enough for you. And Jesus is like, not true. How do you feel like God sees you? Do you feel like there's something that you need to improve on before you can come to him? Like this wedding reality that we experienced this morning as Greg shared. Do you feel like you can look at the groom in the eyes? And is he pleased to look at you? And I want to promise you today that the blood of Jesus has cleansed you, where Jesus is what God sees when he looks at us. Let me say that again. When God looks at you, he sees his son. He sees the blood shed for your sin. He sees you cleansed. He sees you as righteous. He sees you perfect. He accepts you. He receives you. He doesn't reject you. I want to go into the story of the prodigal son. The truth is, so for those of you who may not have heard this story, I want to share the prodigal son story. There's two sons, and it's a father. Jesus is sharing this story, and he's trying to paint a picture of our relationship with our father in heaven. So he's sharing the story. So the two sons, one son comes to the father and says, hey, I know you're not dead yet, but I want my inheritance. He didn't say that in scripture, but that's basically what he was saying because an inheritance was stored up for a son after the father passed away. So to go to a father and say, hey, give me my inheritance, that's such a disgraceful thing to do. So that's, that's the starting of this story. The son's like, give me my money, I'm out. He leaves and, if, and he just goes out and he, he just indulges in sin. He spends all of his money, all of it gone, And it comes to a point where he's completely broke, he's lost everything, and a famine hits the land, and he's starving. He's so desperate that he's eating the food that was stored up for pigs. I don't know if you know about pigs, but they eat anything. It's the stuff that you don't eat, you throw to the pigs, they'll eat it. That's why I don't like hot dogs. (laughs) Anyway, I do like hot dogs, actually. But... So he's eating this pig slop. He comes to this realization of like, you know what? I could go back to my father, but I'm not going to go back to my father as a son because clearly I've disqualified myself to the right of that. I'm going to go back and ask him to be a slave or a a servant to the master. I'm not going to, I'm going to cut myself off. And I want to paint a picture here real quick. Have you ever done this with God when you're praying? Like, let's just say you fall into some sin. What they, did, what they did in Scripture is the son kind of recited his prayer before he went back. He's like, hey, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say this prayer. It's going to be perfect. And when I say it, God's going to receive it, and I'm going to be forgiven. How many of you know that the repentance wasn't in what the son said? It was the fact that he turned around and went home. Because the son going home, if you guys know the story, let me show you. It said, finally, he came to his senses, and he said to himself, at home, there's a hired servants who have food. They go home. 
Oops, sorry. They have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home and to my father I'll say, Father, I've sinned against you, both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. Take me off, take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. Now look at this. While he was a long way off, so did he get a chance to pray to the father yet? Did he say a word? What does the father say? He saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him, and his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both, right? He practiced his prayer. Didn't he already just get received? He didn't get it. He's like, oh, I'm still cut off. The father embraced him. I'm gonna share a story of why this is super significant because this story in itself is beautiful, but I did a study this week and learned a little bit more about what actually was going on because Jesus was teaching this to Jewish people who understand Jewish culture. There is a significant story within the story I'm gonna share with you. You guys ever heard of something called a kazaza? Didn't think so, didn't think so. All right, so here's the story. In Jewish culture, if you were to squander your father's inheritance, it was a shameful act. And they had a ceremony called a kazaza. Kazaza was when you came home after you've spent everything, you were met at the city gate by your father and by the people of the community, and they took a clay pot and they put it at your feet, and they smashed it, and they said, you're cut off. And it was an end-of-story decision. Done. Well, here's the other thing. But the father ran to the son. Did you know in Jewish culture that it was shameful for a man to run? Do you want to know why? Because they wore long things that went down to their ankles. I don't want to call it a skirt, but it was close. Goes down to the ankles. So the only way you could run in those things is to hike it up. And you had to expose your bare leg, which was shameful as a Jewish man to do. So why did God, why did the father run to the son? It's a picture of the cross. What the story of the prodigal son is saying is that the father took on shame for his son and interrupted the kazaza process. It said he met him at the city gate. And the the translation, the, the study that I had of this kazaza ceremony was most of the time, When the father ran to go greet their son, they had a clay pot sitting there waiting for you, and they wanted to see how the interaction was with the son and the father. So this son fully deserved to be shamed. It's a public shaming and humiliating ceremony, and the father became shamed for his son so that he would not be put to shame. That is our relationship with Jesus. He interrupted your kazaza process. He interrupted your clay pot ceremony He ran to you and said, I am interrupting what you deserve, and I'm going to take it on at myself, the Son of God on a cross, beaten to the point of no recognition, so that you would not be put to shame, so that you would not be rejected. The end of the story is, the reason that the kazaza didn't happen is because the father began to bless his son when he returned. Quick, go find my finest robe in the house and clothe him with it. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the fattened calf that we have been fattening. Kill the calf that we've been fattening. And we must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead, but now has returned to life. He was lost, but now was found. When this happened, the people go, I guess there's no kazaza today. Because the father seems to be pretty happy that he's back. 
And God is trying to say to you this. He took the shame upon himself for the sins of his son. Your sin that you maybe think cuts you off as a kazaza has been beaten into the father as a son who was manifested, the son of God, fully God, fully man. The wounds on his back were my sin. The wounds on his side were my sin. This is Jesus. Now, this is the passion of the Christ picture. Have you guys seen the movie? Anyone seen the movie here? Okay. I will warn you, if you want to see it, pray before you see it, because it is very difficult to watch. Very difficult to watch. But here's the thing. This picture does not do it justice. Let me show you something. Later in Isaiah, 54, 14, says, Many were amazed when they saw Jesus. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely even know if he was a man. Okay. The director of the movie said, we had to dial back the crucifixion scene because U.S. movies would not allow it to be shown accurately. You could not recognize Jesus if he was a human being. This was for our sin. He became shame so that we would not be put to shame, and he interrupted your kazaza process. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that we could ad- he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but you are God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. Do you know Jesus has an inheritance? Just like the prodigal son boy had an inheritance. Do you guys know what Jesus' inheritance is? Go ahead. The church. Us. Jesus is coming back for a pure and spotless bride. The beautiful picture of why we're included in the story is that when Jesus comes back, he's coming back for his bride that he died for. You're his bride. Elise, if you can come up. I want to ask us today, because I believe there's a response for us. We're going to take some time to minister today um, to the Lord, but I really feel like God wants to meet someone today. I think the thing that was really interesting about my relationship with my dad is as it continually was healed and, and as God began to free me of these expectations of him and now it's on God, I was able to love my dad, but I began to see God correctly. And I'm so thankful for the word of God because when you read the word of God, you can see that there's really nothing between us and him except for what we put on in our own two, between our own two ears. These lies of rejection that don't exist. God is not pleased with me. He would never receive me. It's a lie. Jesus was marred to the point of no recognition for you so that you would have bold access to the throne of grace. You know, the unrealistic expectations of Isaiah 9-6 is that they were told this 700 years prior to it became fulfilled. Their expectations, they thought they understood what it was, but it wasn't what it was. But how many of you know it's so much better than what they thought? 
Jesus is so much greater than we could think or imagine. We think the disappointments of yesterday's answered prayers or unanswered prayers determines who God is. Oh, there's a God coming on a white horse on the clouds that's gonna reveal himself to you in such a way that it's going to change everything. But while we wait for that moment to happen, he's saving as many as he can and his desires that not a single one would perish. Not a single one that every... So part of the Great Commission is that Jesus won't come back until every nation has heard the gospel. So that the Great Commission, the 1040 window of the unreached people group, missionaries laying down their whole life. Come on, Greg and Meg's son in, in Africa. You know, people laying down their lives for the sake of the gospel because the Great Commission says he's not coming back till every ear has heard the truth of the gospel. What is the truth of the gospel? Jesus died for your sins and you're forgiven. God is not angry with you ever again. Now, can he be grieved? Yes, but the Holy Spirit convicts us and leads us into all truth and sets us free. Why? So that we could be a picture of the gospel on the earth. God wants you free so that when people see Jesus, they see them in you. God wants to heal our wrong perspectives of God. Sounds funny to say it that way. He wants to heal wrong perspectives today. I think some of us maybe have relationships with their dad and your dad's still alive. And you're calling someone this Christmas that you haven't spoken to in many years. Maybe it's your mom. Maybe your father's in heaven right now and you feel like your relationship never got restored. What God did for me is he rewrote what I knew, what I thought I knew about my dad. And my life now has a different storyline. See, I lived a whole life of rejection that didn't exist. I thought my dad rejected me. The truth was, no, he loved me more than I ever could imagine. And when you realize that maybe your story that you've had your whole life isn't true and God wants to rewrite your story, there's freedom for this. There's freedom. What perspectives of God might you have that need to change today? Is God angry with you in heaven? Can we all agree he's not? Can we all agree that his arms are open and he's actually running to you? I also felt this as I was praying this week. Maybe you're a parent of a prodigal. I want to encourage you. The thing that was beautiful about the prodigal son's story, obviously it's about the perfect father in heaven, but the father was ready to receive the son. I don't know where you're at today and where your children are at or what you're praying for, what your kids might have done. But as you pray and cry out for your children, God will begin to work something in you that will prepare you to be the father that cuts off a kazaza moment. Because I'll tell you one thing, being someone who felt shame his whole life, you run as far as you can from that thing. And if there's ever any instance of shame, we're just not running back to that place. And I don't know what your story is today, but if you feel like there's any inclination of shame in our hearts, God can heal that and give you a love that covers a multitude of sin. I do believe that prodigals are coming home. Do you believe that? Come on, there's people in this room that have been praying for a long time. Do we as a community believe that? I want to tell you what, there's parents in this room that need community, guys. Their kids, they're just not, (laughs) they're not doing good. But when a church is crying out for the harvest, some beautiful things happen. And I just want to encourage you as a parent, do not do this alone. Don't do this alone. 
I want to take some time to just sit and reflect. And if you need prayer, the prayer team is up here. So here's the clear call. If you feel like God is angry with you and you can't run to him, I encourage you to run to him today. If you feel like he can't do anything with you because of what you've done, I encourage you the blood of Jesus is far stronger than our pride. And we, we can really be free. We can really be forgiven. If you need prayer for your children and you're a parent carrying a heavy burden this Christmas because you don't know if your children are gonna be at the dinner table, we wanna pray with you. And I wanna encourage you, if you come up as a couple, I feel like there's married couples in this church, elders, I just wanna encourage, let's just get around these people and pray for the harvest. Let's pray for the prodigal son to return and let's pray for the parents that their hearts would be ready to receive the answer to their prayers. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, I wanna tell you, I was broken and rejected and did not deserve salvation whatsoever. I would be someone you would write off. People have said, Chris, we love that you're here. We love you. I was like, you should have met me before Jesus because not one of you would hang out with me. Not one. I was not a good person. Jesus completely rewrote my story. And the thing that changed me the most is that I didn't feel like I deserved to be forgiven, and yet I was. Today is a day for you to receive forgiveness for your sin. And if you want to give your life to Jesus, we want to pray for you. And I believe God can set you free of that shame and that condemnation that you've carried your whole life. Today is a day of salvation. So Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you died on a cross for us, that we would not perish, that you interrupted our kazaza ceremony. God, that you do not cut us off, but you embrace us and you bring us in. Let's take some time to pray. If you need prayer, we're here for you.